want you to turn with me to John chapter 3 and verses 1 through 15. We return to the remainder of the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus this morning, but I want to read from verse 1 through verse 15. John chapter 3 and verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come together today to worship this Lamb of glory of whom we just sang and of whom we see in the Scriptures this morning who we know was lifted up on a cross and sacrificed for our sins that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life and we praise You for the Lamb of glory. God, I pray that You would capture our hearts and minds this morning and help us to see the truths in Your Word clearly Illuminate the truth for us with the power of your Spirit working in our hearts and minds today. Help us to be convicted of our need to faithfully and continually look to Christ and Christ alone. God, I pray that you would soften hard hearts, open blind eyes to see this truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to give you a brief review of what we've noted so far in our study of this passage in the weeks previous. We've led up to where we begin in verse 9 this morning, and leading up to that, we found Nicodemus in the first few verses of this chapter coming to Jesus by night to inquire of him. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews. He was a man of much learning. He was a prominent scholar of the Old Testament Scriptures, well-known. But even though he's a man of great learning, Jesus knows just what he needs. We've noted that, haven't we? That Jesus knows his heart. He knows just what he needs. He's a man of great learning, and yet he's still a man who needs Christ. He needs to believe. 
He's still one who's seen Jesus' miracles and has been attracted by the signs, and he comes speaking about the signs, and yet Jesus knows his heart. Nicodemus makes a remark, you must be from God, for no one could do the things that you do unless he's from God. Indeed, but Nicodemus doesn't understand, does he? Jesus plainly tells him in verse 3, almost abruptly tells him, kind of resets his direction. Nicodemus has his apple cart turned upside down with this statement, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then in verse 5, Jesus says, unless one is born of water in the Spirit. He's explaining what being born again is. Unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot be a child of God. Now the challenge to Nicodemus from Jesus is this. Jesus is making it very plain that, that though Nicodemus was, we would say he was ultra-religious, Though he was ultra-religious, he still was not a part of the kingdom of God. All of his religiosity did not save him. He was still not a child of God. To enter the kingdom of God, to be a child of God, Nicodemus had to be, Jesus tells him, he had to be born again. He had to be, and the word we use is regenerated, he had to be regenerated spiritually. And then Jesus further clarified that this was not a work that Nicodemus performed himself. Now, Nicodemus had been all about performing things himself and doing things and being obedient to the law and trying to jump through those spiritual hoops, so to speak, right? And he thinks, boy, I just want to know more about this man who seems like a, a very interesting person who must have been, uh, must be from God, so let's find out more about him. And, and Jesus kind of does a, a reset on Nicodemus thinking, kind of a, you got a computer that, that crashes every once in a while and needs to be rebooted. Well, Nicodemus needed to have his mind rebooted. He needed to be re- thinking in a fresh and new way about his need to be regenerated. He needed to know that he had to be born again and that no amount of work and effort or rule keeping or law keeping on his part was, was acceptable in God's eyes for saving him. Nothing that, that Nicodemus performed would equal what the Spirit would do. You see, the Spirit is the one who brings regeneration. Only the Holy Spirit brings new life. Only God's Spirit brings a person to the point where they're born again. But Nicodemus was still confused. He's still confused about what Jesus is saying. And Jesus points him to an Old Testament truth that we talked about last week that that with all of his wisdom, that with all of his understanding of the Old Testament, he he should have grasped this truth. And yet he still didn't understand. So we come to verse 9 this morning, and we find this statement from Nicodemus. Look at verse 9. How can these things be? The shades are still down, right? It's still dark in Nicodemus' mind. How can these things be? Now, why could Nicodemus not make sense of the things that Jesus was telling him. I mean, if, you, if you're a student of the Word, you're a child of God and you're a student of the Word, you come to this and you think, how can he, how can he not understand this? I get it. And Nicodemus didn't get it, did he? How could he not get it? Jesus tells us. He tells Nicodemus what his problem is. He tells us what our problem is before Christ. 
Jesus tells us why Nicodemus couldn't get it. After Jesus expresses his surprise at Nicodemus' failure to understand, he says in verse 11 that, that you do not receive our testimony. Here's why you can't understand. Here's why you don't get it, Nicodemus. And here's why unbelievers are still unbelievers before Christ. When they, when they reject the truth, they don't, they're not getting it, right? They're not seeing it. They're not believing. Jesus says, you do not receive our testimony. What's the trouble that Nicodemus is having understanding why he must be born again? He hasn't received what he's being told. He hasn't received it. You could say, he hasn't believed it. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's like, Nicodemus, you're not believing what you're hearing. You're not believing what you're told. He's not believing. He's not receiving the testimony that Jesus and others are delivering. And we saw it back in John chapter 1 and verse 12 that to all who did receive Him, what happens if you do receive Jesus Christ? What happens if you do believe? John 1.12, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. You see, people were believing in Jesus' name and they were receiving Him. But, but listen, Jesus just made it very clear that Nicodemus wasn't one of them. There were people who were believing. There were people who were receiving Christ, but Nicodemus wasn't one of them. Now, we have reason to believe later on that, that Nicodemus finally gets it. We're going to find out later on that, that I think Nicodemus comes to Christ right, and believes. But, but still, right now, he's not, he's not getting it yet. He's not understanding. The trouble is, Nicodemus wants to know more about this new birth. But he can't grasp these truths. And Jesus explains in verse 12. Look at verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus says, look, I'm not surprised you don't get it. I can tell you earthly things that you don't get. I can tell you heavenly things that you definitely won't get. Jesus is telling Nicodemus here that he can't grasp these truths about being born again. Jesus has already given him all the explanation he's going to, but he's not done with him yet. The problem isn't with Jesus' explanations. It's not with Jesus' language. The problem is with Nicodemus' unregenerate heart. Right? The problem is Nicodemus can't see the truth, is not believing, because a heart that hasn't received Christ, a heart that won't believe, can't attain these heights of truth, can't understand these heights of truth about being born again. What Jesus has been telling him is that being born again is something that no man can create or begin in himself. We noted it last week. Think about this truth in the passage we looked at last time. Regeneration, a work of the Spirit, comes like the wind and can't be controlled or explained. It is a work of the Spirit. It boggles our minds to try to think about the depths of that. It kind of confuses us at times. But it is a work of the Spirit. Jesus knows that Nicodemus isn't understanding because he's unregenerate. He's not born again. He's still spiritually a, we, we, we would call him spiritually a walking dead man, right? And that's where he is spiritually. But Jesus has not written him off or sent him away. He's not done with him yet. Because what Nicodemus needs, and Jesus knows this, what Nicodemus needs is an illustration. 
And Jesus gives him one. Jesus is going to give Nicodemus a gift here. He's going to give him an illustration. And that's what we see in verses 13 to 15. Jesus begins by giving a little bit of insight into his authority for making the statement that we see coming in verses 14 and 15. Look at verse 13 again. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. What? What is Jesus saying here? This this could seem kind of like a confusing statement here. It seems kind of like a, a turn around, a sharp corner here. What happened? I want you to note, I think pretty simply, that Jesus is basically just making a statement. He's trying to clarify here his authority for Nicodemus because Nicodemus is not believing that, that Jesus is God, not not the Messiah, right? He's thinking he is an, he is an, an important person, a very important person, but he doesn't see him as God in human flesh. And Jesus says, look, I could tell you earthly things and you don't get them. I could definitely tell you heavenly things that you're not going to see. And here's why. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's making very clear his authority for what's going to come next when he says this in verses 14 and 15. And just, well, think about, think about verses 14 and 15 as he says, as he says this, as Nicodemus is thinking, what, as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him have eternal life. He's, he's pointing to this truth and he's saying, look, Nicodemus, I'm going to tell you something, but you need to know I have authority to tell you this because I've seen more than anyone else. I've come from heaven. I think an explanation from D.A. Carson is very helpful here. He says, the Judaism of Jesus' day circulated many stories of bygone saints who had ascended into heaven and received special insight into God's ways and plans. Many of these stories focused on Moses. Jesus insights that, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus insists that no one has ascended to heaven in such a way as to return to talk about heavenly things. Only in heaven can true wisdom be found. But Jesus can speak of heavenly things, not because he ascended to heaven from a home on earth and then descended to tell others of his experience, but because heaven was his home in the first place, and therefore he was inherently inherently the fullness of heavenly knowledge. He is the one who came from heaven. He is the revelatory Son of God. And so we come to verse 13, and Jesus is essentially telling Nicodemus that he could tell him heavenly things. He came from heaven, but Nicodemus can't receive these heavenly things but Jesus is going to show him the way to be born again. You want to know how to be born again, Nicodemus? You need to you need to know. Let me give you an illustration of what it takes for you to be born again. And he's going to do it by using an Old Testament example that was a foreshadow of Christ. Verses 14 and 15. Again, look at them. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. What Nicodemus needed to know is that this is the way to Christ. This is the way to salvation. This is the way to new birth, being born again. And this is why Jesus came. He needed to know that the way had been made possible for his rebirth, and it was no doing of his own, and not by his marvelous faithfulness to the law, not by his wonderful teaching of the law, rebirth is only possible because Jesus Christ came to be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. 
Jesus says, pointing to the account that we find, it's in Numbers actually, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, that the, the new birth, salvation, eternal life, it comes in the same way it was for those whose lives were saved when they looked at the fiery serpent on the pole, when Moses said, look to the fiery serpent. If you're bit by one of these serpents, look to the, look to the fiery serpent on the pole and live. Now what are we talking about here? That's the, the passage in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9 that Jesus is pointing back to, listen to it. This is a remarkable passage that will challenge us. I want you to think about these words in Numbers 21, 4 through 9. From Mount Hor they set out by the way, by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Note that. The people became impatient. And the people spoke against God. And against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. What food? I thought they said there was no food. Verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And did you note that? The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now let's just note some things about this Old Testament text. Did you notice here as I read that the people lashed out at God? They were lashing out at God. They were speaking against God and speaking against God's servant, Moses. And did you notice that God judged them? You see, God judges. And God judged them. Verse 6 says that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. God did that. And did you notice that as a result of, as a result of all that? It's, it's like God got their attention, right? As a result of that, the people came to Moses doing what? What did they say to Moses? We have... Send. Uh-huh. No kidding. And God sent uh, slimy messengers to get your attention, right? Fierce, fiery serpents to get your attention. And God got their attention. And they admitted their sin. And they're speaking against God. And speaking against God's servant. And did you see that God's answer to Moses' prayer was to make a fiery serpent and to put it on a pole? And what happened to those who were bitten by a serpent when they looked at the pole? They lived, right? You realize that what God did was send the resolution, the solution to the own, to, to his own punishment that he sent? Verse 9 says, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. He would look and live. That's it. That's all he had to do. You're bit by a fiery serpent. All you have to do is Look at the serpent and live. You realize that God is is justly punishing those who are speaking out against Him? You know, we all deserve God's 
punishment, right, before Christ, before we come to Christ, we all deserve God's just wrath, God's just punishment, and God is is right in doing this. God is justly punishing those who are speaking out against him, and yet he sends the way of relief also. Is that remarkable? It's remarkable to me. God sends the punishment, and he sends the relief for the punishment he sends. He sends the way of rescue from his own punishment. Do you see how this is just like Jesus being sent to save you from your sins? You see, Jesus tells Nicodemus the only way possible for a sinner to be saved is to to look to the Lamb of God, to look to Jesus Christ. Jesus saw this Old Testament passage as revelatory truth about himself. Jesus pointed back to it. Jesus saw it that way, and he points to this Old Testament passage. He says to this Old Testament scholar, think about this, Nicodemus. He points him back to this to make this point. It's the answer to to Nicodemus' question on how he could possibly be born again. Nicodemus, this is how you, you can be born again. It's not possible in your own strength. You can't create it. You can't control it. Jesus tells him the only way possible for a sinner to be born again who deserves the just wrath of God for his sins is to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and believe. Verse 14, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is making it very clear to Nicodemus and to all mankind that the only way to be born again, the only way to see the kingdom of God is to declare your utter dependence upon Christ. You realize that? You must look only to Christ. You must believe in Jesus Christ and in His sacrifice for you on the cross and in His rising from the dead on the third day for your justification. If you want to have forgiveness of sins, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must look to Jesus Christ and believe. Nicodemus needed to look to Jesus. He needed to believe to be born again. There's a there's a wonderful illustration of this truth in the personal testimony of Charles Spurgeon's own conversion. Spurgeon gives the following account in his autobiography, which occurred on January 6, 1850, when he was almost 16 years old. Listen to what Spurgeon says about his conversion. I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now, had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning while I was going to a certain place of worship. When I could go no further, I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I had heard of the primitive primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they made people's heads ache. But that did not matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. I think... Baptists ought to sing so loud that make people's heads ache too, right? Because we have good things to sing about. I think Spurgeon would agree with that. He, he did not care how much that, they, that made my head ache. I wanted to know how I might be saved and if they could tell me that. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. 
At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now, it is well that preachers should be instructed, but this man was really stupid. He was only Spurgeon. He, he was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began thus, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, looking, don't take a deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me, eh? Said he in his broad Essex. Many, many on ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to Him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some on ye say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I am hanging on a cross. Look unto me. I am dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend to heaven. Look unto me. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner. Look unto me. Look unto me. When he had gone to about that length, he managed to spin out ten minutes or so. He was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said, Young man, you look miserable. <laughs> Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow, struck right home. He continued, And you always will be miserable, miserable in life, miserable in death, if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and live. I saw it once, the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. Like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. And so, so it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard the word, look, 
What a charming word it seemed to me. I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness had rolled away, and at that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to Him. Oh, that somebody had told me this before. Trust Christ and you shall be saved. Yet it was, no doubt, all wisely ordered. And now I can say with the hymn writer, Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. I do from my soul confess, says Spurgeon, that I never was satisfied till I came to Christ. When I was yet a child, I had far more wretchedness than ever I know now. I will even add more weariness, more care, more heartache than I know this day. I may be singular in this confession, but I make it, and I know it to be the truth. Since that dear hour when my soul cast itself on Jesus, I have found solid joy and peace. But before that, all those supposed gaieties of early youth, all the imagined ease and joy of boyhood were but vanity and vexation of spirit to me. Powerful testimony of Charles Spurgeon and how he learned he needed to look to Jesus alone. Amen? This 4th of July, this this Independence Day that we celebrate as a nation, this would be a wonderful day for you to declare your total dependence upon Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, today would be a wonderful day to declare to Jesus Christ, I look to you and you alone. I need you. I need forgiveness of sins and I realize it's through you and you alone. You need to look to Jesus and live today. If you're a follower of Christ, that's a word for every believer here today as well. You realize that you ought never take your eyes off Christ. You ought to live to please Him alone. You ought to live to find your joy and satisfaction and peace in Christ alone. Because you you never outgrow your need to look to Christ for daily dependence on Christ and His finished work on the cross for you is how you live today. It's how you live every day. You keep looking to Christ. I'm not saying you need to keep looking to Christ to keep being saved, but once you're His, you still need to realize that He alone is how you've been saved. And He alone is how you face every day. And with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing through your heart and mind and soul is the only way that you can face the heartache and the challenges and the hardship that you, some of you face. And if you're not facing heartache and hardship and challenge now, you will soon. Right? So keep looking to Christ. Keep looking to the Lamb of God. As the serpent was lifted in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? So that anyone who looks on Him and believes is saved. Pray with me.
Precious Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for Your Word. I'm so grateful for Your Son. I'm so blessed by Your Spirit. God, I pray for Your people today. You would help them to never take their eyes off the Son, Jesus Christ. That they would live to glorify Jesus Christ, live to please Jesus Christ, live to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and live to tell others about Jesus Christ. And God, I pray there may be souls here today who are still in darkness, who need to have the heart of stone taken away and the heart of flesh put in. God, I pray, help them to believe. Move in them. Draw them by Your Spirit, Lord. Open their Open their darkened eyes to see the light of truth. The light of life, Jesus Christ. And help them to believe so that they might be saved, born again, regenerated, a part of God's kingdom. Do a saving work in the souls of unbelievers today, Lord. God, help us to honor and glorify You with every day with which you've blessed us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.